Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast where small business owners are celebrated as the backbone of the American economy. Each week, we introduce you to tycoons who share their stories and advice so that small business owners may learn from their experiences. Tycoons is powered by Backbone Planning Partners. Join us now as our hosts connect you to today's tycoons. Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I am your host here, as always, Austin Peterson, coming to you live from the Phoenix area, Gilbert, Arizona. It's uh, reaching that time of year now, so it, it will reach 100 degrees today. We are in the triple-digit time of year, uh, so I spend a lot more time wearing shorts anytime I get a chance and short sleeves, so uh, that is uh, the Arizona summer. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, you know, you, you just heard an introduction, but essentially what we do is we tell the story of a new business owner every single week. We believe that the backbone of the American economy is the small business owner, and we want to be able to tell their story and give them a platform to do so. So with that being said, we definitely have a tycoon of, of small biz on the podcast with us today. We've got Frank Spencer III coming to us from El Paso, Texas. And before I introduce Frank and have him talk a little bit, uh, I'm going to read you a little bit about his bio so you know who it is that we're what we're hearing from and, and uh, the accomplishments that he's had. So this is Frank Spencer III. I always perk up every time I hear a third because then I feel like, okay, this is somebody who's really got something to say here. Um, so Frank embodies love for family, West Texas, and the entrepreneurial spirit of pioneering a game worth playing. As a boy, he was forged in the fires of discipline and leadership at the New Mexico Military Institute in Roswell, New Mexico. His grounded upbringing propelled him to great heights. In 1996, a young Frank represented the United States and Australia as a team captain for their American Gridiron football team. There, he realized his compelling gift for inspiring a team to move as one. The varsity athlete later graduated from Texas A&M University with a Bachelor of Arts in English and a minor in Sociology. But the twists and turns that followed only led Frank straight to his calling, to create a legacy greater than himself. In 2006, he acquired Aztec Contractors, Inc. for $1,000 and through prudence and fortitude grew it to a multi-million dollar award-winning general contracting company in the El Paso region. And today, Frank invests his time, resources, and wisdom to help his community. Involves for a lot of different. He's involved with a lot of different nonprofits and serves on different boards. And when he's not busy running award-winning companies and mentoring future business leaders, he likes to spend time with his family, hunt, hike, and work out. Ultimately, Frank envisions success and joy not just for himself but also for his community. So, with that introduction, Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you, Austin. It's great to be here. I appreciate this opportunity to, to sit and visit with you and share share our story with, with everyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to unpack this story and, and talk about what it is that you've built there. I have to start with the fact that you're very similar to me from an educational standpoint. So I have a bachelor's degree in French. And, you know, of course, what I do day to day working with business owners on financial aspects and other aspects of their business is about as far away as you can be from French. And <laughs> I would right. think that construction is about as far away from English and sociology as you can be. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, you know, the reason why I chose to head through the education or the English major was that I essentially going while I was in college, 
every summer I used to work with an uncle of mine who was a criminal defense attorney here in El Paso. And so in working with him in the summers, I always talked to him about, well, especially, you know, after my freshman year, you know, you get your basics done. I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And so I asked him, if you could go back and do it over again, what would you have majored in? He majored in criminal justice, which a lot of attorneys typically will go through the criminal justice route. And so hands down, he's like, Frank, it's English. You got to go English. You got to you got to understand how to read and write, how to draw uh, from from words. And so that's what I did. I I, I followed his lead and and uh, went through the uh, you know English major route, and then. You know, long story short, two weeks before I was supposed to start school, law school, I got cut. And so that sort of started this trend. That's okay, what are we going to do now? And so I think that for a lot of us, you know, that we, we have a, an idea or a plan um, that we've set for ourselves in our lives. And then, you know, something happens and it, it forces us to, to, to make certain decisions and pivot. Um, but there's still success at the end of that. And I think that for a lot of us, especially entrepreneurs that are, you know, putting ourselves out there, you know, it's kind of hit or miss until we find, you know, that niche or we get into that in sync uh, with what we're trying to do, that things start coming together. So um, I think that was a very interesting part of my upbringing uh, of understanding how to pivot and not, you know, beat yourself up for something that didn't work out, but look at the, you know, find the silver linings in, in those, in those, uh, 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 experiences that you go through. Yeah, no, I, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. And I, I've actually shared this story a time or two on the podcast, but you know, there's 150 plus episodes. So everybody hasn't heard this, of course, but um, you know, my bachelor's degree in French was, it, that was a choice. Originally I planned on getting a master's in international management. And so French being the second most spoken language in business it made good sense to do that. I already spoke fluent French. I had lived in in France and Belgium for a couple of years, and so it was a it was a way to get through an undergraduate degree as quickly as possible to then get right. on to you know in my mind the more important things. And I ended up not doing that because of family stuff at that point. I had a kid that was born at that point, and I thought, do I really want to do a full fledged one year? Can't work. Can't earn any money. Can't do you know, any of that kind of stuff. And then one third of that year spent it in, in another country. And so that's, that was the pivot for me. Right. Um, it, it's interesting, the law school tie in, because I was sure I was headed to law school my freshman year of, of high school too, until I took an entrepreneurship and stock market class. And that changed my whole outlook on, on right. what I was going to do in business going forward or in my, my career going forward. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, I, I, you know, as we, travel the country and, and, you know, again, as you mentioned in, in the introduction, you know, we're involved in a lot of different organizations. And so it's a very common theme um, where sometimes we were embarrassed to talk about, hey, I didn't make it to law school, my plan failed. But when you truly um, kind of open yourself out there to, to, to have some of these uncomfortable conversations or expose yourself, you start to realize, you know what, you're not you're not the only one that is having to make these decisions. And so, you know, I start to find that, you know, having conversations with other folks or people that are listening to this podcast can, can um, sort of uh, uh, find happy medians in those, those conversations to say, look, it's okay. And I think for me, that was a big thing growing up because I was so 
drilled and disciplined to say what you start, you finish. Um, and you kind of really stress yourself out even more because you feel like you let your family down, you let your friends down, you let yourself down. But there's always some things to learn in all of these, these uh, uh, situations that we encounter. And I think for me, that's the big thing. I think for anyone in business, these are great lessons learned. Yeah, no, I, there's no doubt about it. I think that, you know, as business owners, we have to, we were talking about this just before the show started, like we have to figure out a way to make it go no matter what's going on around us, right? And, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit specifically about your industry and what you've dealt with through the COVID, you know, through the COVID era. But, you know, right now we've got a war in Ukraine. We've got, you know, the debt ceiling talks that aren't that aren't taken care of we've got inflation that's through the roof we've got you know all these kinds of interest rates that have risen so many things going on around us and as business owners we just have to figure out a way to get through that right i mean i've got a mentor that i've known for gosh since 2008 so what is that 15 years um, right. And one of the things that she always said is there's always going to be hurdles in front of you and you got to figure out a way to either jump over them or go around them, but somehow you've got to get through. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the, uh, to me, that is the essence of a small business uh, mentality. Um, and then as you scale, that still continues to be the essence that drives you. Um, but I mean, again, as a small business, we cling to that. There's a lot of grit behind um, what you just talked about. And um, that's what I see in a lot of the small businesses that I come in contact with throughout the country. Yeah. And that's a common denominator. Yep. So I know there are a couple of things that are really important to you. The first is, is family. And then the second, I would say, just in our conversations prior to this, uh, is your involvement with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and, and being a minority business owner. So let's first have you tell us a little bit more about your family, because we, you know, I mentioned that you do have a family and that's where you want to spend your time. But tell me about your family, what it was like to, to be raised in, in your family and what it's like raising your family now. And then we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And... Yeah, so families families is, is is very important to us you know again in the hispanic culture the mexican american culture um family is everything i mean you have grandma grandpa cousins aunts uncles i mean it's it's a it's a whenever you get together it's kind of like the list goes on and on and on of people that are invited and you're like wait a minute this is just a birthday party it's not a wedding or a funeral you know why are all these people but but again that's the beauty of of the the Latino heritage, that that Mexican American culture, Hispanic, whatever word or term you want to use, um, because there is so much about family, uh, and you know the way we were raised is we were instilled very early, you know the 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 principles of you know honesty, uh, respect, uh, the work ethic, um, you know doing the right thing when nobody's looking. Um, so very early on, we had a very strong foundation that was given to us by my mother and my father, who both were working uh, and instilled those values. And, and I have two sisters. There's three of us total. I'm the middle child. I have an older sister who lives in San Antonio, and my younger uh, sister lives here in El Paso. And so, um, again, at a very early age, uh, we all uh, worked in the summers with my father, and then we all worked our very first job 
when we were, you know, at the legal age, we all worked. And when I say all, my siblings and I uh, worked at a cantaloupe factory in our hometown of Pecos, Texas. And I just think that, you know, those lessons of early as a nerd child growing up and the values that were instilled in us, but we found out how important those values were when we started working. Uh, because the lessons that our parents taught us, we started to understand. And then as I moved off and was sent to a military school, there I had a really strong foundation to be able to maneuver through this institution at a very young age to understand right from wrong, but then learn what the core taught us, um, you know, at the ages of 14 to 18 years old, because I went there for, for high school. Um, so that upbringing and what I learned growing up, but also what I learned at that military school is very much how I run this company today. There's a lot that I pull uh, from the leadership lessons at, at New Mexico Military Institute and then just how we were raised. So uh, family is of utmost importance. And that's a, truly what we created here at Aztec is a family. The culture is very, very strong. It's a family type uh, atmosphere. And that means a lot to me because again, as I um, you know, talk to people, you know, yeah, we have a bottom line, but the bottom line for me as well is the people. We really, really put an emphasis on people uh, because that's what, that's what makes the world go around. That's what makes our world go around without a team. And we, 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 we can't do what we do. And so, you know, that, that message or that team is really why I created Aztec is that as an athlete growing up, I had a hard time when I decided not to play uh, football at the collegiate level, making the transition from being a student athlete to just a student. It was a real, real hard for me because I identified with this team. And so when getting out of school and trying to find my way in terms of what I wanted to do, that's what I needed. I needed a team. And that's truly why I created, uh, or one of the reasons that pushed me to, 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 to uh, acquire Aztec and really build something. And I use the term, uh, the game worth playing. I, I got that term from a book that I read when I first got started. And it was E-Myth, Michael, Michael Gerber. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, yep. but I, I did that year-long course. Uh, it was very intensive uh, course, but it really helped open up my eyes to understand, one, my purpose, my why, but everything else then fell, fell right behind that. And so uh, essentially that, that, that's what kind of motivated me to, to, to build this company and to lead it in the manner that we're, we're leading it. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I mean, the, the thing that really stuck out to me in, in that description was working in the cantaloupe factory with your siblings, right, in the summer. Uh, not everybody that's listening had an opportunity like that, right? I mean, my dad was a stucco contractor, so I, I spent okay. time working, you know, on those job sites growing up. My uncle was a stucco contractor even before my dad was. Uh, my dad worked for him prior to starting his own company, and so I spent a lot of time on, on those job sites. My grandfather had a farm. And so I spent time on the farm and it's not that you can't learn work ethic without having those types of opportunities, 
But I think that the, if you really did a study of business owners that had opportunities like that, you would see a higher success rate among entrepreneurs because, and this is, this is you know, Austin's way of viewing the world, but I I've told many people that the difference between me and many other people out there is that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to succeed, right? If that means that I, there's nothing beneath me, in other words, right? I will go and pick up the job site. I will go and do this. It, whatever it takes to make the job successful and make the company go, I will do that. And I would guess that you're in that same boat just because of working at that cantaloupe factory in the way that you were raised. No, absolutely. And, and that, again, carries over into the business um, and in and, and support of that. Because again, people feed off of it that, you know, if they see you, um, you know, bend over and pick up that trash that really wasn't, you know, your role or your, your job description on that job site. I mean, that in itself will motivate. And that's what I like about that team type mentality, because on that field, you know, an example I use, you know, uh, you know, playing football is that, you know, you, you have, you know, 11 people that come in different shapes and sizes, different skill sets. Uh, you know, you have some really, really your key players, right? The ones that you want that ball in their hand. And then you have others that they're part of ensuring that when that ball, that person gets that ball, they're going to open up that hole. And so you, you feed off of the synergies of that team. So you might have a bad day or come in and, and, and not, not feel it. But then when you step on that job site and you see somebody else going over and beyond, so it kind of like says, wait a minute, I need to bring my A game. I need to snap out of this and, and up my game because I don't want to let my teammate down. And so that that synergy um, is truly what I enjoy the most. And again, when you find yourself in those situations that you can build off of those synergies, a lot of amazing things can happen, um, even if you're a not so good player. You elevate your game to raise because that that person to the side of you you're not going to let them down it's just not it's not going to happen and so ultimately that's the game worth playing that i've been trying to create yeah no i i think that makes all the sense in the world i mean you can see behind me i'm a huge baseball fan i, I love football too i mean watching college football is probably my my favorite thing to do in terms of sports um, so, I, you know, I'm with you 100 percent and you're right from the team aspect. Right. So baseball is just like football. There's nine people on the on the field instead of 11, but all nine have to be in their specific spot with every single right. thing that happens. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you really understand the game and you watch every time a ball's fouled off or, you know, whatever, every every player on that field moves somewhere. Right right? Based on what happened. And it's the same thing in football. You know, I tried to explain this to my wife. She just doesn't get football and, and she, she just can't seem to follow it. And we've got a nephew that actually plays at the collegiate level. This is his last season and reports actually just came out. He's on the list of people expected to be drafted next year before the season starts this year. And so, you know, it's fun to watch him and to see what he's going to be able to, to do this year to hopefully, you know, kind of move up that list. But, you know, we go to his games and I and I try to have my wife like watch what he does. He plays left guard. So he's a big guy, 6'5", 315 pounds. 
And, you know, you, you watch the way that he moves the line. You see if he stands up and kind of backs up a little bit and puts his hands up, or if he pushes, that will tell you likely that it's going to be a run or a pass. Right. She doesn't get it, right, unfortunately, but I, I've tried to show her that. But you're absolutely right. Every single person has their assignment, right? He's got to either open up that gap for the running back to run through, or he's going to push the line a certain way because there's going to be an end around. All those types of things. The exact same thing is true in business, right? I mean, every member of your team has to do their job the best that they can for you guys to have the best outcome for every specific job that you guys do. That's absolutely right. I mean, you 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 pinned the tail on the donkey. That that we we had a couple of years ago. Every year we do a big kickoff, you know, a company wide kickoff, and I'll bring in somebody to come and speak to the team. And then we'll we'll pull excerpts from different things. And so about three years ago, I watched this documentary. It was The Art of Coaching. It's Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. It's an HBO documentary. If you haven't seen it, Austin, you, you, you got to watch it. The yeah. theme of the the theme of the of the documentary is do your job. And so I used that video and I played the video for it. Uh, we watched the actual documentary and I, I wanted them to understand, because again, I always relate things to, to, to athletics or to football. Um, and not, I mean, we played other sports, but that was a primary sport. But, you know, in that documentary, it, it's about, you know, doing your job. And if everyone's doing their job, there's going to be successes that's going to be had. But it's so important that everybody work as hard as they possibly, possibly can. And then each play each task, they got to give it their best because, you know, all I want from the team is to be able to look them in the eyes and say, did you leave it on the field? If you left it on the field, Hey, I'm proud of you. If we fell short for whatever reason, but we did everything that we possibly could to, to get it right. And so in construction and when prior to, you know, we were, we had a, we were talking about how difficult it is to build and especially now in this market. And so, you know, I, I hope that people that have tried to do a remodel job of their, you know, their home, their kitchen, their bathroom, or, you know, larger projects now truly can have a better understanding and appreciate just what general contractors do and how hard it is to, to build and, and, and be behind chasing subs and, you know, supplies and things of that nature. So yes, all of these things as in terms of the team doing your job, if we're all in sync, things will happen, right? And that's what you want. You want production. You want, you don't want to be spinning your wheels and you're just staying in the same place. You want movement and that's how you get it. Yep, absolutely. No, no doubt about it. So you, you just kind of hit some of the pain points and different things that you guys face, you know, you specifically as a general contractor, but, you know, what would you say are the top pain points that you face as a small business overall? So that could be you personally as the owner, it can be the business overall. Yeah. Just love to hear your biggest pain points. So there, there's three things that step out at me in terms of pain points as a small business. The first one is the obvious working capital. And working capital equates to bonding capacity. And, and that's the enigma that contractors, general contractors, or even, even subcontractors have to deal with, is that 
we're required to have a certain amount of liquidity to be able to to work but it 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 it's something that in 17 years i still don't understand it um and maybe it's just a battle inside of my head because i feel like here's an opportunity for us to gain forward momentum advance build step up to a larger project but then they put that barrier in front of you saying no in order to do that job you have to put up a bond for X amount of dollars. And in order to do that, put that up, you have to have a certain amount of liquidity. So it's kind of like, well, wait a minute here. Here's an opportunity for me to scale, to get on a good job and get past performance. But then there's another loophole that you have to go. And so it just makes it that much harder because as a small business, we don't have deep pockets. Um, I started with zero monies. I had to go and get an SBA loan just to get started. And so that right there is to me, the biggest thing a small business has to, to, and I think that's in any industry is that work, that startup capital, right? Uh, that seed money to get you to the table. So working capital, again, bonding um, are, are, are sort of uh, in sync with one another. Um, talent, talent from a small business perspective, because you are not you know, it's, it's it's David and Goliath. You 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 don't have big projects. They're not. You know, when you're getting started, so finding that talent to build your team is going to take you a couple of more years. You know, for me, it took me almost 13 years to find them. Right. So that in that process, just think about how much time went by that you could have been scaling or been more productive, but you couldn't because you didn't have the right talent. And so that in itself is a working, it's, it's, it's part of that growth uh, of learning um, how to read in between the lines. Some, everybody's going to tell you, I can do this, I can do that. It's not until you get them out in the field that you truly understand what their true capabilities are. So that's the second one. And then the last one is that scaling. And it goes hand in hand with all these items I just mentioned, liquidity, working capital, bonding, talent, and then scaling. Because I really feel like, it's for a small business to scale into that mid-size company. And then that mid-size scaled into that large company. There's some black holes there for a lot of businesses. And so how, how do we get, how do we close that gap? And I think that a lot of small businesses have those issues of going from small to mid-size and then mid-size to large. And so depending on the type of work that you're doing, those pieces can be crucial, especially as a federal contractor. Uh, but that's a whole that that's getting into a whole whole another another topic. Uh, but but those are the three, uh, Austin. I would say for me, right off the uh, you know uh, top of my head, would be the, the the difficulties of a small business. On my, my yeah. what I've experienced. Yeah, there there's no doubt about it. There's definitely truth in everything that you said there. And, and the reality is, those three things are the majority, if not close to 90% of the reason that 99% of the businesses in our country are small businesses. Right. right? right. And, then, and then the other thing, other piece to it is you, you look at the minority owned businesses, because there, there are some statistics that show where minority businesses do uh, struggle to cover that gap. So why why can't why aren't there more 
minority-owned businesses that are above that threshold. And so, you know, there's a lot to be said in that. And there's a lot of studies I've been in, involved with a lot of different organizations that are looking at ways to help minority owned businesses scale and, and, and get outside of that norm. Um, because again, there's some really, really strong statistics that highlight some of these inconsistencies that we see with, 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 with small businesses in our country. Um, but there was, you know, you had mentioned another question about, you know, the challenges of, of, you know, being a minority owned business. To me, I think, you know, the, the, the part that I most tie into is it's the little choo-choo train that can. It's the ones that you didn't give them an opportunity, but just when you give them that opportunity, what they can do with it, because there's so much passion behind the small businesses. So, I always like to think of it as being the underdog, you know, going back to that sports analogies is to me, I'm always going to root for the underdog. And that's how I see small businesses. And I think that's why it's so powerful being a minority businesses when you can finally break through and have some, some successes um, in what you're, you know, aligned with your vision, um, you know, the opportunities that you provide, you know, for your team. Uh, the clients that we service, then once you get that's that's that that feel good moment, like, hey, we did it uh, against all odds. Look at what we created. So I think it's just that much more special for a minority business. And I just wanted to make sure I, I answered your question because I, I, I kind of I did, but I went around on some other topics. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you circling back to that. I so I have to actually kind of have you expound on that a little bit because here's the deal in our country and you guys do some federal contracts, right? And so, you know, we can, we can delve into that, but in our country, there are different classifications of different businesses, right? So there's minority owned business, there's women owned business, there's veteran owned business, there's, there's these different classifications, right? And technically you can speak to whether this is true or not in your experience, but technically the federal government, when they're doing different jobs and even state and local governments when they're when they're doing different jobs and they're putting them out there to bid they're supposed to take enough bids from you know those minority owned businesses and and kind of give them an opportunity to overcome that hurdle right and to so that there are more minority owned businesses that are successful more veteran owned you know all that kind of stuff but one do you see it coming to fruition in reality? Is it, is it actually working? And then two, I would say in a perfect world, what would you suggest be done differently? What can we as a business owner community that are listening to this podcast, we're presumably all business owners or aspiring business owners. What can we do to kind of help move that movement forward? So to speak? Sure. No, those are all great points, Austin. And, and you are right. You know, we're going to, I'm going to specifically talk to the federal government side of things as a federal contractor. There are programs that are out there to help minority businesses. And you mentioned them service disabled, veteran owned business, a woman owned business, a 8A uh, 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 certification, hub zone set aside, total small business. Okay. So those are the main ones that the federal government has identified. And you are absolutely right. The federal government is required. They have goals for each agency to hit certain marks in terms of procuring work with 
minority-owned businesses. And so there's a heavy lift from the federal government to ensure that they're getting small businesses a fair opportunity to grow. And so you're looking at a product of the SBA. I was an 8A contractor. It's a nine-year program. I did it for through for the nine years. I if I, you know, there's only two ways to graduate. Do go through the nine-year program or that you do so well in the program that you graduate early because you've lifted, you've exceeded the threshold for the 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 financial requirements in terms of your uh, what your net worth is to qualify as a minority business. So there's a lot of stipulations involved in being able to get classified as uh, to get these certifications, and like I. <laughs> I'll tell people the government knows more about me than I even, than my wife knows about me. I mean, I, I had to give them everything. And so, but to me, that program allowed me the opportunity to compete and grow my business so that now, you know, fast forwarding 17 years down the road, I'm able to compete with companies that have been in business for 30, 40 years. These are large companies. Um, so, I'm very, very appreciative of the, the programs that the federal government has. Um, I, I, I encourage uh, any entrepreneur, small business that have not dabbled with the federal government to look at the opportunities that are there because they have a lot of great programs to help grow and scale your business. It's just a matter of sitting down, rolling up your sleeves and, and figuring out how to handle the paperwork uh, how to get registered. Um, and there's a lot of agencies out there that are willing to help. And so a lot of what I do now is work with other contractors, subcontractors to help them get these certifications and get the training so that they understand how to maneuver through the federal government. Um, so, so yes, I'm a firm believer in, in these programs. And what, what I would just recommend is that we educate more folks on these programs and educate other businesses to tap into these resources. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, as a, as a general contractor, we have to compete on everything we go after, uh, pretty much. I mean, we 90% of the work, I would say 95% of the work that we do is all competitive. We have to compete. And so, you know, when we're working on a municipal job or a state job, you know, we pull from our past performance working on the federal government. To me, and this is just, this is Frank Spencer III's opinion, okay, is that to me, the epitome of being a federal contractor is when you've done work with the Corps of Engineers, because their standards are so high. And so if you, as a small business, if you can get, do work with them and understand their system and adhere to it and successfully complete the mission, and then get a couple of those underneath your belt, Austin, there's really nothing that you can do in the federal space. You are ready. And so when you get onto a municipal job or a school job, it's kind of like, oh my God, it's, you, you, you expect them to be a little more stringent and it's really laid back. Now you have the ability to lead. And that's what I like about doing work with the federal because the standards are so high that once you do that, and so your question about what can we do or how can others help is that reach out to those federal contractors that have done work. It's not that they're gonna be more expensive, they're actually going to be a little more refined and more disciplined in certain things, especially the paperwork aspect of it. Because like I, to me, the, 
to, the success of a federal contractor is the administrative piece. That's that's the difference right there. So if you have a strong administrative hold on your your federal work, it's really going to elevate your game. And so I would just ask that people look into these programs, look into reaching out to companies that have these certifications, because there's a lot that can come from it. They're seasoned, they're disciplined, they're focused, they plan, they understand a lot of the things because they're they're required a lot more than most uh, city and state agencies are asking of us. So I think if we get more people involved in, in these in these programs, uh, we get more businesses to to search out these companies that have these certifications. They would see the benefit of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, great. All great points. So <clears throat> we, we've talked about some of the challenges that you've had to overcome, things that you've, you know, you've had to pull yourself up by the bootstraps for, for years at this point. I mean, you, you, all the working capital, the bonding, the, you know, finding the right people. And then, you know, on top of that, being a minority owned business doesn't always give you the same advantages, quite frankly, as, as a white guy like me has, right? Now, right. I grew up poor. I wasn't given a lot of big advantages, but it's hard to argue with the fact that when I walk through the door, it's very clear that I'm a white guy, right? <laughs> and we yeah. talked about this before the program started. I also have this educational background that helps me with certain things that not everybody has, right? Right. So as if all of that wasn't enough, a little over three years ago, we have this thing called the COVID-19 pandemic that hits. So tell us what that was what that was like for you guys. I mean, it obviously significantly impacted everybody, definitely the construction industry. So what did it bring as far as changes for you and how are you coping with those changes to this point? Yeah, and Austin, you know, what didn't COVID do to, to small businesses, to businesses in general? Um, for us as a small business, the onset of COVID did not rattle us too much. We had enough backlog to carry us over, but it was year two, year three of COVID that we started to see the impact. Year one, it was like nothing ever happened. Yeah, we, we knew everybody, it looked different. Everybody was masked. We, we were, you know, we were blessed that we were considered essential workers, especially on our government work. So we were covered there, but it was year two, year three that we started to see the impacts. And those impacts were supply chain issues. Those impacts were inflation and then labor. You know, all, all these things, you know, let's start with the supply chain issues. You know, what we had to do is start to get creative and propose different products, a different material, a different type of unit. Um, we had to be able to educate and share options because we just couldn't find them. And that was going to continuing to delay projects. For example, on the schools, we had some schools that we had to get these kids in those chairs. If not, that was, you know, potential for them to lose their funding. Okay. And so it was a big push to get these kids in school. So we had to, we asked you know, as Aztec, we had to expedite certain things where we were not compensated for those costs. You know, we had some owners that 
got pretty savvy and said, we are not going to, we're going to put in a no escalation clause. Well, that really hurts a small business because we have to eat those costs or share the cost amongst our subs. And so our subs are small. So you're, it, it truly impacted all of us, all of us, because we had to share. And that was, I think that was a, probably for me, one of those, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad situation to be in, but it was comforting to know that you could share it. You didn't have to take it on on your own. There was people that are, were willing to step up and say, I get it. I'm going to share in this and this cost with you. Um, and so uh, to me, that was that was a big thing to see and, and, and go through is that that supply chain issue uh, uh, issue. The next thing was, you know, inflation, you know, the cost of materials going up. We talked about how we would share that expense. We had some owners that flat out said, you know what? We're not going to pay for any uh, uh, escalation. And so, you know, we had to be smart about, you know, some of the materials we were choosing. And sometimes, Austin, we're not in the luxury. We don't, we're not in a position to dictate what materials are going to be used because some of these projects are designed bid build. So we're already going off a set of drawings and we have to adhere to those drawings. And so it, we had to make, uh, sometimes we had to make some assumptions. Sometimes we had to push back and have conversations with the architectural team to say, listen, guys, this is what we're up against. Um, you know, some of the experiences that we've had here locally, you know, there's transformers, electrical transformers that are taking over a year to get in place. So without electricity, we can't turn the lights on. Right. And so, um, it was just really, really difficult, or it has been really difficult to maneuver, but again, it's just coming up with options. It's being creative and, 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 and being able to have that open communication with our customers, our owners, our uh, architectural, uh, the team, the consultants to say, look, this is what we're faced. What other options do we have? And if you're in a, in a, on a team that truly encompasses, embraces that team, then you're going to have successes. It's the ones that are going to dig their heels in and say, no, it has to be like this. That's when it becomes a lot harder. Um, and, and thank God those are far and few. And then the labor issues, you know, we had to make a conscious decision about three or four years ago that we weren't going to find the talent that we needed with experience. Uh, they were already taken. So what we did is we started doing trainings from within and investing in the team to train, to, in, to, to, to help move things along. And so we've had some successes. We've had some setbacks with that. Um, but Again, if we can control our own destiny, we'd rather be in that position. What we recently have done is we started a, a pretty robust internship program that's really worked out for us well. So we're hoping that we can start retaining some talent in the near future as they graduate. Um, you know, give them an opportunity to come in. They're getting paid, you know, uh, above minimum wage. So I'm really excited about that uh, because I think it's important that the pay structure be such that because everything's so expensive, you know. We need to offer better pay to, to our team uh, to allow them to, to, to not stress over those that milk that they have to buy, those eggs that have gone up in price. So I think all those elements are important. Um, and, um, you know, how we've overcome, you know, the COVID. And then, you know, the other thing that COVID affected us is that 
relationships. A lot of the stuff that we do on the federal government side is off of relationships. It's the same thing with the local or municipal stuff. It's all relationship driven. And so when your key contacts, the people that have you've time and time again have come, you know, come through for them on projects that they've pushed out to you. Well, they were no longer there. They were not working in their office. They were working remotely. They decided to retire. They decided to go and do something else. And so now I'm having to go back and reestablish those relationships with the agencies that we worked with because the people who knew us, who trusted us, who knew they could count on us are no longer there. So that affects your business too. Because you don't have those opportunities anymore. You're trying to you're trying to, 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 to get in front of somebody and they're not there. And it's not the same when you can be face to face with somebody having a, a doing a capabilities presentation. That's what we refer to them as as we travel the country. Is the, you know, the face-to-face is so important to me. Um, that when you're doing it via Zoom, you you, you sometimes you lose that connection, right? Um, and so that was the other critical piece is that our clients were gone. We had to reestablish new relationships. And that in itself is hard when they're not in their office. <laughs> they're at home. So it, it, it's, a, it's a heavy pull. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, there is no doubt about it that, that that pandemic changed our world forever. Right. And, yeah. and it's a lot of different ways. Right. But there are definitely, like you said, people that retired that just said, you know what, I'm close enough. I can yeah. retire. I don't have to you know, worry about what this is going to look like. Am I going to go back to the office? Will I continue to work remote? They don't know what their future holds, but they've put in their time and they can you know, take advantage of that federal pension. They move on. Right. right. And so it, it puts you guys in a tough spot because relationships do matter. And I do a lot virtually, but there's no doubt in my mind that that a stronger relationship is built if there is an opportunity to do things face-to-face. Right. You can still be very successful virtually, and, and we've proven that in our practice, but there, there is a difference with face-to-face communication for sure. And Austin, it, it's it's simply also adapting. You know, this is the new, this is this is part of the effects of COVID. So we have to get accustomed to having, you know, uh uh the Zoom calls, the team calls, you know. That, that's the next, that's the future. That's what we're in. And so you just evolve. You evolve to figure out how to make these things work for you. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's, it's interesting, the dynamics of COVID and what it did to so many different businesses, good businesses, um, and, and how each of us were able to come out of it. And there's some that weren't able to, you know, there were some of us that, that weren't able to, to, to make that, that shift. Um, thank God for those PPP, uh, the PPP loans. Uh, those were a huge game saver. I mean, that's what a lot of held a lot of us together. I mean, I know yeah. we were, we were part of, 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 you know, taking advantage of the, the PPP loan and some of the other stuff that uh, was put into, into place. So we we're grateful for that. Yep. No, no doubt about it. Well, you know, we, we've talked a lot about challenges today, Frank, and, and you know, I would say that you've put a very positive spin on those because you've overcome those challenges. They're very real challenges, and they're things that you're going to continue to deal with for years to come, right? I mean, the, 
the manpower, the labor, all that kind of stuff is, is going to continue to be an issue that you're going to have to continue to work on and, and try to improve in your business. But I want to end with something that I think is really, really positive for your guys' firm and for what you do personally. So you're obviously very busy. I know that you go to, to Washington, D.C. quite a bit from a lobbying perspective, and you know you do a lot of different things in, in your time. But you always take time to mentor those who are just starting out or unsure how to navigate the industry, how to work with the federal government, how to do the, you know, the, um, the minority owned business stuff, all those kinds of stuff. So why is that so important to you to mentor small business owners and, and what does that do for you personally and for your company? Yeah, Austin, that's a great question. And, and it's one of, it's one that I'm very, very passionate about. Small business to me is, is everything. Like I said, I, I am, as I travel the country, I, I tell people all the time, I, you're looking at a product of the SBA when you use it in its purest form. And so for me, when I first got started, Austin, nobody was willing to help me. And that's something that I'll never, I, I, I could never understand why people just weren't at the liberty to help share information. It was just me, me, me. I'm not, I'm not going to share with you what I'm doing. So that, that stuck with me. And I, I, I made a commitment day one, you know, when I got shot down that if I ever was able to pull this off and get to a place where I could help somebody that that's what I would do. And so I have never let that go. For me, the importance of extending a hand back, pulling somebody up, because to me, that's, it's the right thing to do, but it's part of, it's part of that, that team. It's part of that, the people that are, that are coming and asking for mentorship um, have seen or heard or read something that you're doing and they want to tap into that. And, and why not share that? Why not share that little nugget that could make a, a difference in this company's life, uh, change a, a perspective on something. So, you know, the other thing, uh, other piece to this is that the majority of the people are in my industry. And these are people that were either or companies that were subbing work out to, uh, teaming with. So it is in my best interest to help them elevate their game because essentially they're going to help elevate my game. And then it's going to be this tangent thing that we're constantly going to be helping each other to get to scale up. So if you bring them up, they'll be there to perform for you. And so that's my way of saying, hey, we're in this together. We're doing it. And the idea is I'm hoping that they will surpass us because then they're going to be able to get into something that maybe I'm not tracking. And if they're willing to share that information with me to help me, then to me, that it's just, it's the, it's the, it's doing the right thing. Why don't, why don't more of us help one another out? It's okay to extend a hand. I don't look at contractors as my competition. I look at them as my opportunity. If we can collaborate and work together then we could probably sit there and stop complaining at the coffee shop as to why these companies are coming in from out of town, taking our work. Why don't we work together and create a solid front to protect the work that's in our backyard? 
That's that's one simple ex- example of how you can collaborate and and help other people. But then at the end of the day, Austin, for me, it, it's it's you're you're planting a seed for growth because maybe not in my life, I will see it. Maybe it's in my son's life where something great will happen or he'll be offered assistance to do something that was based off of the good that we do. We don't know. Life is too short. And the other thing I look at, it's real simple. I could I could be asking that person to be part of their team. You never know. The world goes around in so many different ways. And I just feel that if we all try to do the best for one another, help ourselves, help others, there's enough there for everybody to partake, everybody to grow and to learn. And plus, if you like and know and trust the people that you're working with, that you're helping, these are relationships that are for life. And you just don't know where they'll end up at or when you're going to be in need of something. And they're going to be willing to help you because they remember what you did for them. You know, it's just, it's, it's just life. You know, these are just, I think, principles of life that I believe in. Yep. No, no doubt about it. And I would say, you know, in the construction industry, you use the term subcontractor, right? There's, there's a lot of subcontractors that work on the jobs that you were contracted to, to do, right? And I think that if more people, regardless of industry, so for you, it's subcontractor in a lot of other industries that may be vendor or, you know, whatever the case may be, and you've got vendors as well. But if we view anybody that we're working with to finish a job or to complete a job as our partners and treat them as such, right? And treat them differently, help them do better so that the final product is better. If all of us would do that, everybody would have a better outcome and we would all raise the boats together, right? A rising tide lifts all boats. That's, that's absolutely right. And, you know, in our industry, in the construction, we are only as good as our subs because we're not the ones with hat. We're managing a job. Now, you know, we do self-perform some of our work, but we don't do all of, we don't, we don't self-perform all of it. So we need our, our subs to get us across that finish line. So it, it is in our best interest to help support and understand the issues that we're dealt with, um, to help one another get across the finish line, complete the mission. That's the big thing. We got to complete the mission. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, Frank, I've I've really enjoyed the conversation. We've covered so many things. I appreciate who you are as a person. I appreciate who you are as a business owner and, and what it means to you to be a business owner in our country and also what it means to you to be a Hispanic or a Mexican-American in our country and what you're trying to accomplish, not only for you, but for everybody that identifies with, with that aspect of their, of their life. So I, I really appreciate that. Austin, it's been, it's been my pleasure. Uh, thank you for, for taking the time to visit with me and, and share my story um, with this platform. Um, I'm humbled, uh, honored to, to be part of, of, of this uh, podcast and um, open to help as many people as I possibly can, because God knows that I'm still learning. Uh, I still want to grow more, and I'm constantly trying to get outside my comfort level uh, in order to hit those growth points um, that we all need to be at and understand. So thank you. Yeah, you bet. So speaking of that, what's the best way 
for somebody to get in touch with you or Aztec? The best way to get in touch with me is via email. Uh, my email is f.spencer at AzteckContractors.com. Uh, we also have it on my website, uh, www.AzteckContractors.com. Uh, our number here at the office is 915-577-9685. But email is really the best way. Uh, you know, that's one thing that I can't turn off. I wish I could. Um, but we're getting better about, uh, you know, the, the time that we spend on, on our phones and, and tracking emails. Uh, I think uh, a lot of times we get bogged down with that cognitive load of the day-to-day -day stuff that happens and being Johnny on the spot. But yes, email is the best way to reach me. Great. Well, once again, thanks, thanks for being on the program. And if uh, for our listeners, if this is the first time that you've listened to Tycoons of Small Biz and you appreciated what you heard today and learned something new, uh, please like, subscribe, and, uh, and give us a review on any of the podcast platforms. We're available on all of them. We're also on YouTube. And uh, we've been doing this for over 150 episodes. We're not new to it. We try to be better at it every single week. We did change and bring it in-house. We used to have a producer and those feeds were theirs. And so we lost some reviews. We'd love to have reviews, likes, and subscribes from anybody who's listening and enjoying what they're getting out of Tycoons of Small Biz. So again, Frank, thanks for being here. And thanks to our audience for listening in. Listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Join us next week for an introduction to another great tycoon, and be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content.